There are lots of lousy businesses, and there's lots of wonderful businesses. It's the art and science of money. My job has been to try and figure out which is which. It's Hi-Fi Radio from the Global News Radio Studios in Toronto with Hi-Fi Portfolio Managers. Here's Wolfgang Klein and Jack Hartle. Yeah, good morning. Welcome back to the show, Hi-Fi Radio, a show about money with a little bit of music weaved in for you. Wishing you a great day, and Jack Hurdler, producer of the show, is in the studio. Wolfgang Klein, Moi see your host. Got yourself a star-packed lineup this morning. We're going to open up speaking about, well, Weedabix, I guess. Marijuana, medical marijuana, recreational marijuana with Matt Bottom, mechanic ingenuity analyst. We're then going to move on to uh, speak about the Canadian dollar. It has been very, very strong. Uh, maybe because marijuana has been strong. I don't know. We'll find out about that with Jeff Blanco, head of our foreign exchange desk at Canaccord. And we are going to end it with a talk about Apple. I got a complaint. My battery doesn't work as well as I used to. And Apple's bringing home a lot of money to America. Trump tax repatriation is in full force and Apple is making some new highs. So Mike Walkie's going to talk to us about that stock. But uh, without further ado, Matt Bottomley, Canaccord Genuity Analyst, the cannabis sector. I can't believe I'm saying that. I still cannot believe that. Matt, it's unbelievable uh, how what was once so um, not apropos has become, well, almost accepted, I guess, eh? Uh, cannabis sector, and you're an analyst in that sector. So uh, good morning and welcome to the show, Hi-Fi Radio. Yeah, good morning. Thanks for having me. So uh, here we are, 2018, where I guess we're about six months away uh, from Canada Day. And uh, in around that date, do we expect recreational marijuana to be just that? Uh, are we on track? Is the Prime Minister going to deliver on his promise, first and foremost? Well, yeah, I think we're certainly tracking in the right direction. But that's the big question, right, is what type of infrastructure is going to be available come July 1, or as, as Trudeau said uh, more recently, summer uh, is how he's, he's framing it. But, but I think, you know, whether it's July 1 or sometime later in July, August, I mean, clearly there's a huge amount of, uh, of volumes that are going to be coming online. And, and I think that, uh, you know, we're tracking well in the sense that almost every province now uh, and region has given commentary on, on how they're planning on, on designing their framework. So it's a big execution play now. There's a lot of stores to open Ontario. They said they want to get 40 open, uh, LCB-type uh, like model. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, that's something I'm definitely keeping a close eye on. It's, it's not early days anymore as we're in 2018, but there still is a bit of time. So that's something absolutely I'm keeping a, a mm-hmm. keen interest in into seeing exactly what this uh, recreational rollout is going to look like. But I would say we're tracking well, but uh, a lot of infrastructure to go. There's a lot of, lot of legwork certainly left in sure. the works. So uh, Ontario, f- potentially 40 retail locations. Uh, how many suppliers do you think the Ontario government is going to uh, work with? Uh, and... How many producers exist in Ontario, and will they work with all producers or only some? And what will happen to those who produce but don't have a contract with the Ontario government? That's my big question to you. Well, a lot of big questions there. So uh, let's try and unpack it. So approximately there's 85 uh, licenses roughly today that have been granted across the country. Keep in mind that that probably covers, um, you know, ballparking, but maybe 40, 50 companies, uh, 20 or so plus of them are, are the big public companies everyone's keeping an eye on. So uh, in terms of the amount of uh, supply Ontario is going to be, you know, uh, in, in terms of the number of LPs that are going to be supplying the Ontario government, it's, it's really anyone's guess. I think that, uh, you know, like they're going to, like any 
big company that needs to have supplier mitigation, they're probably going to go to quite a few companies to do this. But I think a lot of the larger players that have a lot of built capacity today are, are going to be first and, for, and foremost in, in this industry. But, um, you know, I can't really say with any level of certainty how many are going to be involved. You know, suppliers that, that don't have a contract with necessarily uh, every province, I mean, there's still a place for them. So if you don't have an Ontario purchase order, the, there's going to be a huge need uh, for supply in this market. And right now, I think there's a lot of capital that's been raised in, in Canada in order to facilitate that supply in the medium term. But in the first year, I think, you know, government agencies and whether or not the shoppers drug marts of the world get involved as well. I mean, they're going to be looking for supply wherever they can get it. So I don't think that's going to be a problem for licensed producers in the near term, but it could be a long-term challenge for many of the smaller players. So, so long-term smaller players could be challenged, but short-term, you truly believe there's going to be shortage of cannabis come uh, legalization? Well, not necessarily. I think that if, if in order, if, I think if you're, if the question is framed about could the supply on the market come day one, uh, it would it be enough to be able to meet all illicit demand today? Probably not. But again, the recreational rollout's going to be, uh, you know, it's going to be have a moderate ramp to it. So only 40 stores to start in Ontario. You know, compare that to 800 LCBOs. So it's <laughs> going to take, it's going to take time for them to ramp it up. So in terms of the supply demand dynamics, in terms of existing infrastructure uh, versus the, the supply uh, for that infrastructure, it could be even. I'm not sure, but if you wanted to turn this thing on overnight in terms of illicit demand, I do not think there's enough in place uh, to legally supply it come summer this year, but I do think there's a lot of uh, high-quality companies out there that have raised a lot of money, and I've been to almost all the facilities now, at least all the larger ones, and I can tell you there will be quite a bit of supply coming online to to satisfy that demand over the next couple of years, but if we're talking summer 2018, I think there's still a ways to go. Is that right? Well, Matt, you know the name of the game here is to bend with the trend, and that's what we're doing as we look at the cannabis sector, such a new part of pharma, I guess. Uh, look, uh, we're going to pay some bills around here, so please stay tuned, get yourself some Weedabix, fill it up, get some coffee, and turn up the radio, because this is Hi-Fi Radio, helping you make some money. Stay tuned right after this. Don't go anywhere. There's more great show after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. Well, good morning, Hi-Fi Radio, Global News Radio 640 in Toronto, Jack Hartle in the studio with me, helping us for the cause as we bend with the trend. Was that Bob Marley? I don't know, it was some great reggae. Anyways, smoke the weed, not the seed, apparently is what it says. Matt Bottomley, Canicorginuities. Ah. Cannabis sector. They're, t- they're, they're talking about ganja. We're talking about cannabis. Same thing, I guess, isn't it? Uh, so let's talk about this, um, Matt. Uh, 85 licenses now in Canada that can legally produce weed. Uh, how big is the potential uh, cannabis market in Canada, uh, uh, both recreational and uh, medicinal, shall I say? Yeah, it's a great question. So we've done quite a bit of work on this, and uh, still some, you know, there's a lot of subjectivity uh, before the recreational market turns online. But starting with medical, the existing market today, uh, a lot of states in the U.S. that have regulated programs in place for for many, many years now, they typically top out at about 2% of their populations are registered patients. Uh, and again, we expect Canada to be no different, especially since chronic pain is, is one of the largest indications in the, in the U.S. that's prescribed for, and certainly there's a lot of Canadians using cannabis for chronic pain. So we think that uh, there could be 800,000 registered patients over the next number of years. Today we're sitting at about maybe 250, so a ways to go. Um, yeah, and sir, how, how much uh, dollar-wise, how much would they consume per yeah, annum? So in, 
in terms in, in dollars, we think that the, the medical market could be a two and a half to three billion dollar retail market, uh, assuming those eight hundred thousand patients are registered. And when you add the recreational volumes onto that, we think it's upwards of uh, ten billion in total uh, ten, between ten, the two segments. Ten in total. So, so now uh, with, with with all the publicly traded companies, I guess the privates are in there as well. Uh, but in terms of their market capitalization, uh, what valuation is the collective trading at? Do you know? Yeah, it's probably roughly thirty-five billion uh, today. Thirty-five. Uh, yeah. So, 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 so the market's trading at three and a half times revenue, uh, so to speak. Well, that's uh, that's, that's projected that's forward revenue. revenue. Yeah. That, that, yeah. Projected that's, revenue, right? Yeah. Well, that's, that's actually not that. Uh, we've seen tech stocks trade at what, Jack, ten times revenue, uh, early stages. Uh, so yeah, three and a half times. So, so, so yeah. So, 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 how far out is that ten million dollars? And that you're looking at, Matt. Well, you know, we call it maturity, and we're conservative in our estimates and how we how we forecast that out. So we use ten-year DC apps, but it's probably somewhere in the five to ten-year range uh, where we think that's going to come in. Because, because Matt, Jack, and I, and our clients, growth portfolio only, as their speculative capital only. So in our growth uh, mandate that we manage, we allocate upwards of maybe five, six percent into speculative assets. The rest is basically blue chip. We're pretty boring guys when it comes to how we manage our clients' money. Because rule number one. Don't lose your money. So we, we work real hard on not losing money. But every now and then we have a little bit of room for some spec and we consider marijuana to be spec because it's not a profitable, sustainable business yet. Uh, so uh, regardless, uh, this, the, the sector, the HMMJ, which is the ETF that was created, the exchange traded fund that has 10 stocks in it, including Scott's Miracle Grow, um, uh, that, that, that ETF was rallying hard in January. First couple of days of the month, it was up about 10% a day uh, for what, four or five days in a row. And I said, this is silly. Was up 40% year to date, I think by January 9th. And so we took it off the table after speaking to you because, you know, you, you helped us, you know, say, well, maybe it's run a little bit too far too quick. Uh, are you still in that camp? Uh, we're seeing a little bit of a pullback with the index. Individual names are doing what they're doing. Um, but do you think the market's gotten a little bit ahead of itself or do you think it's going to keep marching along? Well, it depends on, 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 I guess the way I look at that is, what are you considering to be the fundamental value uh, that supports these stocks? And as much as they, you know, they might have run up very quickly, uh, there's a lot of de-risking still left to do in the Canadian opportunity. But I think an important uh, you know, factor to include now, and it's not going to be you know, particularly relevant to every single cannabis name, but the amount of international exposure now that Canadian licensed LPs are getting uh, is starting to be fairly significant in terms of getting their name in the hat to potentially get licenses in Germany in other EU countries and in places like Italy and Denmark. Uh, Australia is another company ramping up the name. There's a lot of these producers that are in on the early stages there. Now, that, that's not to say it's a, it's a shoe-in and a sure thing, and there could be other domestic companies, uh, you know, local companies in Germany, et cetera. Oh, you'd have to think. But, but I think that it's important to, to consider that because if you want to peg the, the, the valuations, especially some of the larger companies in this space based on their Canadian opportunity alone, yeah, I would, I would argue that, that you know, you've got to ha- take a real hard look here considering valuations are up 60%, 70% in a month. Like, that would be just common sense to take a closer look. But I think if you look at what the opportunity is in Canada and then some of the larger quote-unquote blue-chip names that have exposure in these countries, I mean, if you are a global leader in cannabis five years from now or, or you know, even a year from now, two mm-hmm. years from now with how quickly things are moving, I mean, your valuation, the valuations we're seeing in some of these Canadian LPs could be much, much higher than what we see today. But if you want to be more conservative and only value these names strictly uh, to what's happening in Canada, you, you know, you do have to keep, a, I think, a close eye on where the valuations are. Well, Constellation, sorry, Constellation Brands, sorry, Jack. Uh, Constellation Brands, what, what's its market cap? 
The company that uh, took took a temporary can, Canadian dollar terms probably around fifty billion. It's fifty billion. So and and they are estimating that the marijuana market could in fact be as large as I think the spirits market. Uh, so yeah, I guess what you're saying makes a lot of sense. Like you you could see then valuation of individual companies upwards of the tens of billions of dollars. Is what you're telling me? Uh, if they had a global, if they had a true global right. footprint. So I, yeah, I think that's a very interesting way to look at it. If 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 you know right now, uh, Canopy Growth Corp has the largest uh, market cap uh, in cannabis, and uh, you know I think it's at about eight billion. So if uh, if if you want to use that comparison. And you know what's a global cannabis company going to be worth? Um, obviously, there's upside there, but I think that uh, you do want to be very, very diligent on which companies you're going to give that optionality to. Not every company is going to be a, a, an international player. Not every company that's listed today is, an, is even going to be a successful Canadian player. There is a large saturation of these names, but there is certainly a good set of names out there that I think you know the valuations as high as they are. Um, there, there's certainly support for them to be higher. Now, that's not to say there won't be volatility. You see 10% days that are up, you're certainly going to see days where they're 10% down or more. Jack's got a quick uh, question know, like, for you, Matt, before, yeah. we, before we fly here. I was just going to say, the, uh, the large amount of money that you're seeing raised right now, because there is a lot of money being raised in the uh, capital markets, is that for this international expansion, or is that just for Canadian production for these LPs? Yeah, it's on average. for both. It, on average, I'd say it's for both. I mean, a lot of the large raises we've seen are obviously for the large companies, and, and, and there's a good amount of them that have German relationships, Australian relationships, uh, and, even, and even other companies uh, like in Afria, who, who had an earnings call the other day, and, and they, they made a point of noting that they're, they're going to be going after the, the Latin America market, which is huge. And you have con- uh, excuse me, countries like Brazil and Mexico coming online medically. So uh, there's, a lot of subs- there's a lot of population sets out there where there could be some huge value derived that's going to come back to Canada. But again, this is optionality. This is not something that's anywhere in the near term. But, you know, five years out, it could be a, a different story. Well, look, Canada is a leader in the cannabis space. Uh, I don't think we're going to replace the maple leaf with a cannabis leaf. But hey, you never know, my good friend, Matt Bottomley, Canaccord Genuity Analyst in the cannabis sector, keeping us all up to speed on just that. Coming up next, we're going to talk about the loony with Jeff Blanco, Canaccord Genuity's Managing Director and Head of FX. Right after this. Let's take a break. But after, Wolf and Jack will continue their in-depth discussion about money. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. Well, Jack and I are going to share with you our knowledge of the high finance world. A little aloe black. I need a da-da to tee it all up. Jeff Blanco, Canaccord Genuity Managing Director, Head of Foreign Exchange with Canaccord. Good morning to you, Jeff. Thank you for joining us on Hi-Fi Radio. I guess the first time you've been on this year, many times, of course, last year. And, well, I don't know if much has changed. The Canadian dollar, when we last had you on the show, was probably 75, 77 cents. Strengthened a bit for sure. Uh, and it continued to strengthen. Here we are, uh, what, 80 and a half cents American is what the loony is now worth, give or take. Uh, so, what do you think, Jeff? Are we going to par or is the Canadian dollar flown too high? Are uh, we going to par? That's a, that'd be an interesting move from here. Um, well, right now it's all about the U.S. dollar in general. Um, U.S. dollar's week was weak, really weak in 2017, started off in 2018 on the same foot. So, um, Canadian dollar has underperformed a few of the major currencies, but is really not doing a whole lot in the grand scheme of things. Certainly not as exciting as the uh, cannabis sector <laughs> in Canada. So uh, 
Um, so you see, because it's funny, because I, I, in, in front of both of us is this chart package from uh, Velocity. Uh, Joe Farrell, is that correct, Chuck? Uh, yeah, I guess we had on our show a couple of weeks ago. Uh, <laughs> gave us a fantastic foreign exchange chart package. And I went through it on the weekend, uh, going through the uh, dollar yen, euro yen, uh, even the uh, the rupee versus the uh, US dollar. And what I've noticed basically for this chart package is the US dollar is under attack. Uh, all these currencies internationally are strengthening against the US buck. And that leads me to say, gee whiz, does that mean the Canadian dollar is going to continue to strengthen against the US buck? Because that would be problematic for Jack and I, as we are long Apple, we're long Amazon, we are along Facebook, and all of those, of course, are U.S. dollar-denominated investments. Uh, they're, they're holding up very well. We're continuing to outperform. Uh, despite I say the, the U.S. markets outperform. The issue is that we've had, like you said, the, the currency weakness. It's been a headwind for us, but uh, the, the strength of the U.S. market has actually allowed us to outperform Canadian markets despite that headwind. Yeah, so like last year, for example, Jack, like you said, the U.S. market was up 20%, but the, the U.S. dollar was down 5 So net-net, the, the, from an international perspective, the U.S. market was up 15%. Still did great against Toronto, which was up, including dividend, 7 or 8%. Uh, so I think part of the U.S. dollar's ascent is the weakening currency. So the big question, and I just bumped into Benjamin Tull uh, in the down escalator. Uh, he didn't recognize me. It's, it's all about that voice. Uh, he's on the show a number of times and recognized it was great. So we had a good little chat about that. And he's going to be coming back on the show, Jack, in a couple of weeks. Um, but uh, Benjamin has a short on the Canadian dollar. Uh, so w- w- what do you think, Jeff? Uh, would you short the loony here? Uh, yeah, that's sort of what I'm, I'm uh, leaning towards. I think the weak U.S. dollar move has been, uh, a lot of it last year was in the back of, um, I guess, in- improved growth in the Eurozone and uh, other areas of the world, the whole convergence idea, trade versus divergence trade, saw some U.S. dollar weakness. Um, I think what's priced in is pretty much a lot of good news in the moment. So I would not want to be long euros at 122.50. Um, uh, I would rather be long U.S. dollars at those levels against euros. And I think based on, you know, the concerns that the Bank of Canada has mentioned this week uh, about NAFTA, et cetera, um, I think there's a very limited upside for the Canadian dollar from these levels as well. Going going into the end of last year, we were talking about a range for the Canadian dollar. It was 125 to 130, Jeff. We kept on looking at it. It was, it was basically since the summer to December. Didn't quite get to that 130 range. Now that it's actually broken down, it's around 124. 124 and a half, yeah. Yeah. Uh, what's your view on that, that it's out of that range? So you don't think it'll weaken any further? We're out of the range, but are we really out of the range? Like, you know, 50 basis points in the grand scheme of things over months is really not that much. Um, like I said, a lot of that is impact to a weak U.S. dollar in general. There were some expectations that the Bank of Canada was uh, um, was going to be hiking aggressively, and there's still uh, two full hikes priced in for this year in Canada, which, um, based on the comments this week, I'd have to say is, is probably uh, a little Aggressive. optimistic. And the risk is... Um, something goes through with NAFTA, our growth numbers falter a little bit because he said he's data dependent. Um, one of those rate hikes gets priced out pretty quickly. Um, and I think we know the, the Bank of Canada is probably not a fan of, the, of a 120 Canadian dollar. Yeah, we think um, they, they definitely are biased towards a weak loony, I for think, sure. especially with yeah. our trade numbers. You mentioned that uh, in December. They were, you know, despite the uh, internal economic strength in Canada, we had some, some relatively weak trade numbers. And our non-energy trade export number is still abysmal. Uh, and the bank's been, you know, whether they pay much attention anymore because it's not working in their favor, but it's something they paid a lot, a lot of attention to several years ago, and that number not, is not improving. So, like Benjamin, I, I think uh, you want to be short the Canadian dollar at current levels. And <laughs> you, saw, you saw the Bank of Canada raise rates uh, this week, up 25 basis points, so a quarter percent. Um, what was uh, the currency didn't react. What was actually happening on the desk, though? Um, it seemed like it was already priced in from yeah, what we, we saw. Yeah, we went into the number at 124 
115, it dripped to 123.80 very briefly, and then we got into the uh, need further accommodation comments, uh, concerns about NAFTA comments, et cetera, and that was pretty much the end of uh, end of the Canadian dollar rally. Once again, there's so much good news priced into that at those levels. Um, there's nothing but disappointment coming out of those uh, statements. Interesting, because again, Canada certainly has headwinds. You mentioned NAFTA. Uh, of course, we got the, the change in mortgage uh, rules. Um, what else do we have here, Jack? Uh, the, the other main variable you have you have a U.S. economy who's going out of their way to to cut taxes and, and promote Correct. business, which is not the way the Canadian Correct. government is going. Yeah, we're and raising taxes. That right? is a long. I think that's a long term issue for the economy in Canada. That's going to have an impact for sure. Hmm. All right, here's what we're going to do: pay some bills around here, my good friend. But uh, stay tuned. We're going to talk more about the loony, the U.S. buck, and where she's going to go for the next 38 minutes. Right after this. Listen, we're going to take a break. But when we come back, more money talk. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio, 640 Toronto. You know, it's funny, it tracks the, the, the Australian dollar remarkably. The Australian dollar is trading at about 79 cents. The New Zealand dollar is about 72 cents. So, uh, yeah, sorry, off here, you're just commenting on what iron ore prices and how yeah. they've held up? Yeah, they're holding up fairly well. And uh, in a in a brisk on environment, I think the pro-cyclical currencies like Aussie, Canada, and New Zealand, for example, should, uh, you know, should do fairly well. Um, and, and the Australian dollar and New Zealand dollar has actually rallied reasonably well in the last little while. Well, now, here, I want to change gears here. Let's go over to Japan. Um, that's where the sun rises, doesn't it? The sun rises Rise in the east, yeah. Rise in the east. Uh, yeah, and they were calling it the land of the setting sun, which, of course, it was for decades, the lost decade, many decades lost in Japan. But technically speaking, again, speaking to Joe Farrell, uh, this, this thing is coming out of a 20-year or 25-year uh, channel uh, and breaking above 20,000. I'm talking about the Nikkei right now. And at the same time, you are seeing the yen um, weaken. Uh, sorry, so it's trading around 107. The question is, does the yen go 100 to the U.S. dollar or does, does it reverse up? But... Uh, there's been a whole lot of currency overlay in why the ETF EWJ has not performed in line with the Nikkei market, and that has been currency-related. And that is about to change potentially if you see, I guess, what further yen weakening is. Is that what they're looking for? Well, the the yen's been stronger last little while because Bank of Japan amended their bond-buying policy two weeks ago or whatever the day was, Um, the net result being um, less bond purchases. Um, They just shifted from one end of the curve to the other. But... Uh, the market took that as expecting now, just like they're expecting ECB to stop QE. They're looking at signs that Bank of Japan is prepared to, to end, uh, you know, their their QE measures, which have been in place forever. So, so when you're saying QE, what that is, just for the listener, yeah. is the government's basically printing money to buy their own bonds right. to, to keep their yields down. And the Bank uh, of Japan has pegged their bond yields and uh, will do what they need to do to keep them at those levels. So, and sorry, what were they pegging them at? Was it 10 basis points on the 30-year or 10 basis points? 10-year, yeah. Ten, so, so basically for, for one-tenth of 1%, um, you could lend money to the Bank of Japan. And they're basically lending to themselves because they're, they're buying the their own bonds yeah. Yeah. or it's the citizens of Japan that own most of their bonds. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that is quantitative easing at its finest in that uh, particular example. So they are printing money. Because in, in doing so, they have been keeping global interest rates lower. Correct. Well, everybody's doing the same. Everyone's doing the same thing. Right? The same, thing. same thing. So everyone's keeping global rates lower, including the ECB. Um, but what Japan is doing, I think, is the fact that they're keeping their tenure at ten basis points mm-hmm. uh, artificially keeps also the U.S. dollar or sorry the U.S. tenure at I think it's two sixty right now. 
Yeah, without that peg, yeah. I think the, the U.S. Lot, the tenure US, would be significantly higher. higher. Absolutely, maybe not three percent, but that's my point. Quite a but bit. They're, they're they're keeping global yields low, and so I spoke to Benjamin Tell, and as we discussed earlier, and he thinks that's about to end. And you mentioned the same thing; they reduced their their quantitative easing purchase. But now let's come back now to to that uh, U.S. dollar here. Um, you have Trump, of course, uh, pound the table as to his, his work on on on. on reducing taxes for, for uh, repatriation of dollars. We heard from, we're going to be speaking to Mike Walker talking about Apple. And what was the number Apple's bringing home, Jack? How much money? I think they're bringing home $250 billion. We'll, we'll, correct, or we'll uh, confirm that with Mike. So but, a couple uh, hundred it's, billion. It's about that. They're going to pay $38 yeah. billion in tax. Yeah, so, on significant. So. so they're going to pay, what, 10 or 15% tax yeah. on that money as opposed to 26% tax. So all that money is going to come back into America. If and you bring gonna, it back in illiquid form, so not cash, you pay 8%. Eight percent yeah. illiquid form. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, will that put upward pressure on the U.S. dollar to any significance? That's that's a tough call. Um, in reality, I think a lot of those that money's already sitting in U.S. dollars. So, whether there's a big uh. demand for U.S. dollars on the way in, or I don't think anybody knows the true answer to that. But in theory, there should be some demand for U.S. buying as money comes back into the country. In reality, it, reality is a different thing. Because I'm trying to build a bullish case for the U.S. Well, I say the, the, I say the, the, sorry, the, the pro-growth side of it would say that, you know what, you bring all this money back to the U.S., there's higher growth in the U.S., that means there's going to be higher inflation. So how do they stop inflation? They raise rates. And but, we've, we've seen a breakup in the in the yields in the U.S. as well, like above 250 in it held, now we're above 260 in the holding on the 10-year ten ten yields, um, which to me is somewhat significant. And if we get... Um, if everyone's looking at a sort of a secular bear market and bonds happening, and there's some talk about that right now, um, then what is the impact on currencies from that? So that will depend if we remain in a risk on or a risk off environment. If these higher bond yields result in a risk off environment, you should see the U.S. dollar strengthen significantly. Okay, so, so then I'm going to go to the point you made this morning to me, Jack, is a very, very valid point. That is money goes where it's most welcome. Taxes are going down in America. Taxes are going up in Canada. So you would think money potentially would leave Canada and go to America, which would weaken the loony and strengthen the U.S. buck. Do you think that actually plays out, guys? Uh, well, over time? I know. like It uh, does, but there's multiple yeah. factors that are in play, too, because Canada at the end of the day still is a commodity currency. We talked about that yeah. last week. Copper's up, oil's up, uh, other base metals yeah. are up as well. So I don't know. Yeah. Uh, very important in terms of a commodity currency and the direction of which way the loony goes. Mm-hmm. But oil, oil, you know, oil is up, but the, uh, the Western Canada select discount is very it's large at the huge. moment. It's a massive, yeah. massive spread. Yeah. Uh, so uh, we're not getting the real benefit of uh, much of a benefit of an increase in the price of oil. Now, apparently, yeah. again, I'm going to go back to Benny this morning. Goes, <laughs> I like walking the streets because I come, I bump into my, my friends along the way and get some good wisdom uh, offline, should I speak. It's very powerful stuff. It's it's, it's live. It's real. Um, but in terms of oil, he, he guess, was doing what Jack used to do. Jack used to go out to the oil field and count the rigs for me, come back to the office and say, hey, well, if I count 48 rigs in Saskatchewan, uh, across the horizon. He had good eyes. Uh, but Ben says the, the rig count is up. There's a six-month lag. So there will be a supply response to energy in about six months, uh, which will basically cap oil in and around that $63, $65 level. Comments on that? I think at that level, I think a lot of producers would be very happy if it sticks around that level for you know a couple of years, uh, especially considering we were at 25 bucks not too long ago. So it's, it can be very profitable. Those rigs are a lot more efficient now than they were even five years ago. So I think Canadian, North American producers would be very happy. U.S. producers in particular, I think, yeah. will be ramping up production pretty quickly. Yeah. So so again, but if you have a, a, this commodity bull market continues or cyclical bull market in commodities, because copper is well above three bucks. Oil's not getting, or excuse me, gold's not getting a whole lot of love. But it's holding its own. But again, crude, petrol currency that we've always been. In many ways, you say, gee whiz, the, the Canadian dollar should be, in fact, stronger than it is. But the move, the rate of change, right, from the bottom to where we are today in all those commodities. Um. 
I don't know if anybody's making a lot of money at sixty three minus sixty three dollars minus twenty five dollars in uh, discounts uh, in discounts, Canada, right? Yeah. So. Uh, I don't know whether it have the impact from that or not until we get, you know, maybe we get $70, $75 oil if it ever happens. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's, and it's important too, like we talked about, pro-growth in the U.S., lower taxes, uh, all those things over the long term should uh, increase the value of their currency, right? Yeah. Money goes where it's most welcome and where it's most profitable. Well, guys, we can predict all we want. It's going to be another year. And guess what? The pundits tend to, well, do what they do, eh? So like the weathermen. <laughs> we get it right, we get it wrong. It's going to be a long year. It's going to be a fun year, I think. And uh, yeah, commodities back in favor should be bode well for the Canadian market. Cannabis is going to get legal. And Bitcoin has been bitten. And I like that. Uh, folks, we're going to move on to, uh, where is it, Jack? One of the United States to talk to Mike Walkley about Apple. I'm going to complain about my battery and my iPhone. And we're going to find out what Apple's going to do with this. Hundreds of billions of dollars are going to bring back to America as it is becoming great yet again right after this. Making money is the best. So how do you make more money? Come on back after this. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. There you go. Good for your heart, good for your and an apple a day on Hi-Fi Radio. Wolfgang Klein, your host, Jack Hartle, producer, co-host, and Mike Walkley, Apple analyst with Canaccord Genuity Wealth Management. All right, my good friend, I got a bone to pick with your company, Apple. My battery is not working so well anymore. My phone is slowing down. Uh, what are they doing to me? They're jamming me with new software or something, and they want, they're, they're forcing me to buy the X for a couple thousand bucks. Is that what's going on? Is this a scam? Come on, Mike. Help me out here. And I'm long the stock, by the way. At least I'm long the stock, so I'm making money to pay for the phone, which is a good thing. Yeah, no, it's, it's an issue Apple's dealing with with a lot of consumer advocacy groups uh, around the world. Um, just got sued in Korea over that uh, this morning. But, you know, basically what Apple... South Korea, I hope. Was, I wouldn't want to be sued by the North yeah, Korea. South South yeah, they don't sue you in North Korea. They just <laughs> line you up. Right. So, so, so basically, they're, you know, when you get new software updates on older phones, they try to uh, extend the battery life, but it did slow down the performance, which uh, isn't sitting well with a lot of consumers. So there's a new software patch coming that will allow consumers then to choose whether they want full performance but worse battery life or or go with what Apple thinks is best for your phone but to give consumer back the choice. So that's that's kind of the issue there, but certainly uh you know, not great PR for the company with you know, some recent you know, hacks into the system and you know, this battery issue, but you know, despite all that, the ecosystem is as strong as ever. The services revenue are growing nicely, and um, the iPhone 10 is most expensive smartphone on the planet, and uh, you know, it's had a strong selling season for the holidays. Has it? So it, it, it's going as planned as you've expected in terms of your channel checks. Yeah, I think the December quarter was strong. You know, here into March, it looks like more of a seasonal quarter, which you know we'll see how Wall Street takes it. Um, could be a bit of a disappointment because I think people thought that 10 would do so well. You'd have a seasonally better March quarter with you know with their inability to fill demand by year end. But it turns out um, they ramped production. It sounds like 
supply demand was really imbalanced at year end versus pushing into the March quarter. So I think you'll have a, you know, probably upside for December and maybe March more normal seasonality than a better than normal seasonal start to the year. So we'll see how, how that's uh, digested by Wall Street. But I think that's now kind of buy side expectations and the stock continues to kind of trickle, trickle higher here at the beginning of the year. Mm-hmm. Hey, Mike, I was reading a, a Barron's article. They were talking about the refresh cycle for the iPhone X. And they were talking about, I think, fall of 2018. Uh, sounds like it's kind of early to me. Is that what their uh, the expectation is? Yeah. So the fall of every year, um, Apple has September's every year they launch new phones. So that is the expectation. And you know, I actually held off in buying the uh, the X or the 10, just knowing that there's some issues that they wanted to fix for the next version. You might get your fingerprint uh, authentication back into the 11, things like that. Uh, you know, it'll be the next generation of this bigger screen um, OLED version. So that's the expectation. They might have, you know, two two versions of the OLED screen phone. Um, but yeah, I, I would expect the refresh. Um, it, it would be a disappointment if there wasn't a refresh in September of the 10. Well, wow. Mike, what what is the street estimating annual sales for the 10? Total sales of how many units globally? Yeah, I think for total iPhone units, the street's roughly 240 to 250 million. <laughs> 250 units. million units. The, the reason I... Oh. Yeah. Well, $1,000 <laughs> a unit? <laughs> well, but no, here in Canada, $1,800 a unit. So, the, the, the 250,000 units of an $1,800, I'm going to call it a telephone. That, that's almost 10 shares of Apple. Apple's what, right? 10 shares of Apple would do it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, no, you, yeah, you interjected before I finished. That, that's total Sorry. iPhone units, of which the 10, the most expensive ones, you know, probably 80, 80 of that. So, oh, okay. But, you know, that, that includes Makes the it better. Yeah, I'll, down, I'll, I'll, I'll take half my back. <laughs> yeah. Remarkable. So, so a stock that uh, I'm getting questioned on right now is a stock that you had a short on for a long time, and the street didn't like you. Canadians were threatening you, weren't they, uh, for, for putting a short? You're laughing. You know what I'm talking about. And so back in the day after the Van Halen concert, uh, staff Christmas party at BlackBerry, the stock started to un- unravel, and you know, I guess a year later you put a short on it, and you were right. But some, things have changed uh, with BlackBerry. Encryption software, driverless cars, exciting stuff on Hi-Fi Radio, but we're going to pay the man. So Mike Walker's on the line. We're going to learn about BlackBerry and why maybe it's got a second leg and it shall be called a Phoenix right after this. Stay with us. There's more shows still to come. You're listening to Hi-Fi Radio from Global News Radio 640 Toronto. I try not to be dramatic unless I have to, but I was at the Apple store picking out a MacBook and on my way out like thanks for stopping by and you walked in and you really caught my eye. And I'm gonna put you on my playlist. I don't know what your name is, but you're going in my favorites. I got you in my eyesight. I hope you're here, cuz I'm gonna turn the volume up and speak into your earbuds. Oh, like yeah. The Apple Store love song. That's amazing, eh? Well, what a brand that someone would, well, go out and write a song about just that, the Apple Store. Mike Walkley, analyst, Canaccord Genuity, covers Apple, also covers BlackBerry. Before we jump to BlackBerry, because I want to talk about the driverless cars and their encryption software, and uh, does the stock have legs? Uh, let's come back to Apple for one second here. So how much money is Apple bringing home, uh, and what impact, Mike, will that have on the American economy and the American dollar? Yeah, sure. So Apple has over $250 billion in cash overseas. They haven't said the exact amount, but the expectation is probably 90% of that they're going to bring home. They're going to, you know, they indicated they'd pay about a $38 billion one-time tax fee to do that. Um, and then, 
you know, they've talked about over $30 billion in capital investments in, in the U.S. market over the next five years and 20,000 new jobs. So, you know, clearly uh, something that, you know, the Trump administration has talented, um, creating jobs and bringing, bringing cash back to the United States. And Apple, you know, a very big company obviously doing that has um, certainly been well-received. And I imagine with that $250 billion coming home, they will continue their amazing cash returns. They've already returned just in the like the last five, six years, I think it's over $230 billion in cash to investors. And imagine with bringing that cash back home, they'll continue their nice uh, yeah. dividend. So, so, so before you ask a question, we're going to ask you quickly. Is America great again? Uh, well, stock market goes up every day. Uh, you know. <laughs> That's you really hesitated, man. Come on. <laughs> Honestly, it's a huge number. It's a massive number. Yeah. No, it's great. Things, yeah. things are going well. So, so up here in Canada, we have our BlackBerry, which isn't, which isn't as good as the $250 billion coming back into Canada news, but uh, news yeah. is better for BlackBerry now. Uh, I think what, a couple hundred million came in from marijuana. But yeah. Sure. What, what do you make of the story with BlackBerry and how they've sort of had a renaissance? Yeah, so to, to BlackBerry's credit, they're no longer in the device business. I mean, they get some licensing fees, but they've become really software security business. And the crown jewel of the company, um, they bought this QNEX. QNX is the initial software. Um, they hoped that would be the platform for BlackBerry 10 smartphones, which is back in the day when you know we we saw BlackBerry 10 wasn't selling well and had a had a you know sell rating on the stock. But to give John Chen credit, he's come in, he's uh, seen the assets they've had, they've stabilized the company, they have two billion to invest for growth. Um, so the QNX software is. Kind of the plumbing, it's the, it's the OS, so it's not the applications that you know, enable driverless cars, so it's kind of the plumbing that the cool applications get written on top of. But they have a secure system that cars or manufacturers are choosing, so they should get an increased revenue per car. Right now they kind of get $2 per car for doing infotainment systems with this QNX software. With autonomous driving, they might be getting upwards of $10 per car. But you kind of put that into a framework, and while we have a hold rating on the stock, Basically, for BlackBerry, it's trading at seven times kind of our 2020 um, revenue estimate. Um, you know, that's, that's a high multiple relative to, you know, your leading SaaS software company. So it's priced in a lot of good news, but to, to give the company credit, um, they're back on a growth profile, and they have this uh, autonomous driving area that could drive growth. It could take that one business to kind of put in perspective. It does like $150 million annual revenue. Maybe in five years, it could get up to $500 million in revenue. So that's... That's uh, pricing in a lot of that good news, in our opinion, given the high valuation. That's why we have a hold on it. But do think they'll be making some good news announcements and steadily starting to grow again after years of shrinking. Sure. Wait, when do you think we're going to see self-driving cars in North America? Uh, well, there'll be different versions of it. There, there's always more and more safety app, you know, things coming into it. But you need the 5G networks first, and you know, covering Nokia. We just did a roadshow with that CEO. The very initial stage of the 5G builds, you're going to start seeing that in 2019 with more mass adoption, kind of 2020 onwards, you know, getting it to the point where it's in self-driving cars, you know, kind of the mid-2020s, I think you could start seeing that. Because, you know, Jack made, a, Jack made a very good point. Uh, as the population ages, self-driving cars could make seniors mobile again. Sure. Yeah, like 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 huge it could be massive no but again jack observed his his, his grandfather uh and and as people get older it's sad but the, the world sort of gets smaller as to where they're able to go and it gets very very small when you end up in a nursing home truly it does you, you become quite confined so this self-driving tires could really revolutionize uh seniors lifestyle it could be it could be fantastic i think 
well, a lot of artificial intelligence, I think, will uh, not only help the population, but help seniors as well do things that uh, they can't do themselves anymore. Hmm. But uh, in terms of today, like, can, can BlackBerry generate revenue off of self-driving cars that don't exist? Like with these OEMs, how would they, when would they start to see the revenue kick into gear from, from an autonomous driving point of view? Yeah, so what they've talked about now is some of the design wins that have recently come out. It take about two years to they hit revenue. And so these are little modules in cars. So you might have a steering module, and BlackBerry have the secure software for the steering module. It might get two bucks per car. Then they might also have another um, module into braking. You know, so you can't hack into these different areas of the car. So they could get these five to six modules within a car of a couple bucks each. So that's where they could go from infotainment which is what they do today in, in cars. Then they get like two bucks a car to go up to maybe $10 a car. So that's, so, that's what's driving it. All the software to enable autonomous driving, that's done, that's done more by the mobilized that were bought by Intel and companies like that. Mm-hmm. So, so which vehicles and which uh, manufacturers are they dealing with right now? Right now, it's, it's so early, but you know, they've, they've won Denso, who is a supplier into like the South Korean vendors like Kia. Um, you know, they've won, they won a Ford. So they, they won some brands, but it's, it's, it's early stage. It's not, it's, it's to the point where they have to make their final decisions, how they're going to roll out and how it all goes. So it's not even hundred percent baked in revenue, but mm-hmm. um, you know, they're partnered with Qualcomm, they're partnered with NVIDIA. So they're partnered with the players who are enabling autonomous driving and we'll just see how it rolls out. But we're talking about, you know, a 500 million type opportunity for that piece of their business. Um, the other businesses are, you know, you add it all together, maybe this could be a company doing, you know, one to one and a quarter billion dollars, and it's a seven billion market cap. It's a seven billion dollar company today? Kind of break it. It's a seven billion dollar company today? Yeah, it's a seven billion company today, and we're talking about this autonomous driving opportunity it might be 500 million in, in several years out. Right. So basically, your hold rating on the stock. I'm actually I'm glad you talked about that because it's a question that seems to be coming up a lot. And the uh, conclusion is BlackBerry is not going to go to where it once was. It's a completely different industry. You have to view it very differently and, and, and understand the risks that you're dealing with here. Mike Walkley, Canaccord Genuity yep. Tech Analyst. A real pleasure to have you on Hi Fi Radio each and every time. It is my good friend. You go back to bed or enjoy your day with your family. And I wish you a great weekend. Uh, once again, thank you for tuning into the show. Jack did a good job. I was having you it was a pleasure to have you on the show with us dusty our producer did a fine job queuing up the tunes as we bend with the trend on hi-fi radio you've been listening to hi-fi radio with wolfgang klein and jack hartle portfolio managers at can accord genuity wealth management for questions about today's show or any money questions you need answered email wolf and jack at wolfgangkline.com hi-fi radio for the love of money we'll see you next week